This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Forest. I'm your host, Cameron Lewis Debro. We are in crunch time. I don't want to say do or die in the first five to ten seconds of this episode because I feel like that would get me demonetized and that would be bad and in fact not good. But uh, Wake Forest had a opportunity on Saturday to take down Virginia, end up losing forty nine to forty seven. I, I had a, that might have been the most frustrating one. So I was at a baby shower, full disclosure. I was, I, I was at a baby shower during the game, was watching it on my phone. Thankfully, the, the parents-to-be are very sports-minded, and they didn't care too much about that. But uh, also, the fact that I'm old enough to be going to baby showers is has broken my brain to a certain point. It's neither here nor there. Yeah, so I had to go back and rewatch this like after the, the baby shower and then watch it again on Sunday. And I mean, like, there's not a ton to break down. You didn't make shots. You shot 23.8% from three. Hunter was the only person to make more than one. Uh, Damari was one for four. Parker one for four. Boop was one for two. Uh, between Cam, Carr, and Efton, they were a combined 0 for 7 from the, behind the arc. Shot 34.5% in general in terms of like in terms of shooting from the field, that's just, I know it's UVA. I know they're a suffocating defense, but I'm sitting here right behind me and UVA is getting the their teeth kicked in by Virginia Tech, who is shooting about 50% from the field right now. Partially because, uh, partially foul trouble, I think also helped, is helping right now with this UVA BT score because in that first half, uh, good old, good old Mr. Jordan Minor had a couple fouls. And once he was out of the game, him and done by the couple, and that was about it. But you, you're not, you're not making shots. Like you know, credit to Connor O'Neill for this, for the stat. But I mean, six of the last ten games on the road, three point shooting has been 31 out of 128. That's 24.2 percent. I pulled the stats from just kind of a similar sort of of time frame in, in your near games against uh, NC State, Virginia on the uh, on the road, Pitt 
Georgia Tech, Duke, UNC, and FSU. Um, in this, it's it's in the second half too. Like in the second half, you're shooting 26 for 96. That's bad, man. Like that's that's not good. The second halves have been where things have kind of gotten away from you, and I think that has been probably one of the more frustrating parts of the season. Has been, it's felt like every second half has been sort of the same thing, and it's it happened against UVA, happened against Duke, happened against Pitt, North Carolina, not so much. Just kind of got it right out the gym. You didn't play well, right around the gym. Happened against NC State, and happened against Florida State, and happened against BC, and you got away with it too. To play. You know, kind of a crappy game the entire time, but you define yourself either up decently or within like two the entire game. You're doing things well. You're taking open shots. They might not be falling, but you're taking open shots. You're not turning it over as much. You know, you're playing within the flow of offense. You're playing solid defense as well. And I'll get to the, why I think that in a second. And then in the second half, you'll probably, you'll start off fine. You know, you're, you're the, either you'll keep the lead at where it is, or you're not getting drugged. And like for the Duke game, you were basically within two to four that entire game. And then around like that set, that six to seven minute mark, Andrew Carr is, is basically out of the game. And he was out of the Virginia game because he just was not playing well. It's like, it's a combination of either Carr comes out of the game. Efton Reed just kind of gets neutralized a bit. Um, whether it be foul trouble, that was the key. That was what happened against Duke and NT State and Florida State. Those three were were definitely Efton foul troubles. But against Virginia and and against Pitt, like it was a, you know, I think Pitt had a very good, like they ended up bringing in Mister. I don't know if his name is absolutely escaping me right now. I thought I had it written down. But they did have William Jeffries, who's what, 6'7", 210-ish, come in the game. And I thought Jeffries, Aaron Roundtree, light, to be quite honest, did a very good job of, of you know, limiting Afton a bit, which is somewhat concerning, somewhat not. I don't know about that. Because Afton was just absolutely just bulldozing Federico, Federico. There was nothing Federico could have done, was doing in that matchup. That was even remotely good. But they brought in Jeff, uh, Jeffries, and, he's, and he did pretty well. I thought in that second half, they did a, a bit of a better job on FTM, but I think part of that was also just Ryan Dunn, who was an NBA level. I think you could put Ryan Dunn out there in the NBA right now, and he'd give you 15 to 20 minutes of solid defense, not just because he had a billion blocks against Wake, but he's just that good defensively. Like Ryan Dunn, if he could actually shoot, Ryan Dunn would be would be you know top 10 prospect in, in the draft because he is that good defensively. But yeah, Efton Reed gets taken out of the game a little bit, and then you just like, don't make shots. You have a bunch of crappy offensive possessions. You had them against Duke, had them against UVA down the stretch, where you made six shots in the last 13 minutes. You had a bunch of crappy possessions against Pitt. You had a bunch of crappy possessions against NC State on the road. You had a bunch of crappy possessions against Florida State. And then y'all, then you let the offensive rebounding start spying on the choice. It, so it's always a combination of just everything you can't do, you do, and yet you still find yourself losing by like a possession or two. And I think that's part, probably the more frustrating part of this for a lot of people is, you know, if you, with all of that happening, if you make two shots in any of these games, you win. Like you, you are winning. No one's complaining. It's fine. But you didn't. And obviously, you know, you lost and now people are have this consternation. I've mentioned this before, but I think it's just the fact of, I think this Wake Forest fan base is is wounded, and it's not meant to be in a 
derogatory manner of like, oh my, oh my God, get over yourselves. But I, I think it's been, it's been a long time for Wake Forest fans. You know, you had the first four in 2017, my senior year, junior year, excuse me, uh, where, you know, you, you made, you made Dayton, John Collins drug you to Dayton. And, you know, that's been the only time you've sniffed the goal, gotten into the tournament in 13 years. You know, that's going to, bring in patience that's going to bring people having just lashing out you know people getting their hopes i think people got myself included you know got really really high on this team during that eight game winning streak and then when you have you know even after they lost the pit in north carolina you know they have and then you go back to back to back and you beat the hell out of syracuse and you beat the hell out of georgia tech and then you you must get you pull yourself up by your bootstraps you were down by i think 10 in that nc state game and you come back and you beat you know a big four opponent and you're like, okay, cool. We feel like we're we're really, really going to be in a good position to make the tournament. And then you lose in a frustrating way against Duke. You lose in an even more frustrating way against UVA. And that that hurt that you've had the last decade and a half almost very much starts like coming out more. And you know, it's understandable, and I I, I understand that. But I also like no one's jobs in jeopardy, man. Like. <laughs> It not this year. No, no one's jobs in jeopardy. And, and I know people want to be like, "Oh, when do we get to have the conversation?" Because that's something people always want to. That's it's not happening this year, no matter what. It, it's not. So, it's it. I, I can't tell you how to be a fan. You are allowed to be frustrated, but we can also kind of bring things back to the median and go look. Has Wake screwed? Like I, I try not to drop an F bomb here because I don't feel like doing extra work and editing. Well, editing like bleeps. Has Wake Forest absolutely thrown away opportunities? Yes. I thought they threw away, you know, a couple of Q1s. NC Stay on the Road, which is now a Q1. It's borderline. They're 75. NC Stay on the Road. Virginia on the Road. Duke on the Road. Pitt on the Road. I think you've you've thrown away some opportunities for, for Q1 since F10 Reed is back. So I, I, not that I don't care about the early season, but that Georgia-Utah LSU stuff, like, stretch when you're just basically playing with hurt people and no big at all. I got nothing here, but you you've gotten your big back and now you've had some opportunities to, you know, not be on the wrong side of the bubble and you kind of pissed them away. That's frustrating. I under, I understand that, you know, it, it, the last 13, 14 years have led to some impatience, and that's understandable, but they have everything in front of them and it's not meant to be something that's like rah, rah. Oh my God, this team's going to be great. It's going to be, look, they have opportunities in front of them. They've got to they've got to take advantage of those. Would things be a lot easier had they been Virginia or had they been Pittsburgh? I think I think honestly, if they had been Pittsburgh, excuse me, Virginia, things would have gotten a lot easier. That's that's the first one. And I feel like I've been very straightforward and consistent in saying, you know, Florida State, NC State, Pitt, and even Duke to an extent. Like Duke could have like Duke could have helped you, but it doesn't really hurt you. But I thought those earlier losses against, you know, your Q2 borderline Q1 teams that are like, hey, like you lose these it's not the end of the world because these aren't tournament teams they're not teams that are in the tournament Florida State is not in the tournament like they're not going to make it unless they just went out NC State's not in the tournament they're not even in consideration right now probably Pittsburgh Pittsburgh's one of the hottest teams and we'll get to Pittsburgh but they're not a tournament team right now they have a solid resume but they are not a tournament team right now you beating Virginia who is a solid tournament team 
would have been a, would have been the one of the more impactful ones of like, hey, this is right in front of you. You win this, great. Duke as well, but Duke was also one like you rate almost eight point dogs. Happens. But now you turn your attention to the Pitt Panthers. And I mean it's how does the trend hold? You are 14 and one as a as a favorite. And Wake Forest opened this afternoon as five and a half point favorites. As I look at things right now, it looks like they are a pretty consensus six and a half point favorite across the board. I don't really see any. I don't see, I see a, yeah, I don't really see a five and a half out there anywhere for Wake Forest. Yeah. So FanDuel, Bet Online, DraftKings, Caesars all have a six and a half point favorite for Wake Forest. And it makes sense. I mean, I've, I've thought Pitt has been a very, very good team over the stretch. They, since playing Wake Forest, honestly. But honestly, the last, you know, they've won seven out of their last eight games. And that includes a road win at Duke. That includes, you know, beating Wake Forest. That includes road win at UVA. Includes a road win at NC State. And they've been a very, very good. They've been an extremely good road team this year in general. Um, they They have been a... I don't know if they've played the best of competition, but they have they have some some quality ones on the road. So they're not someone to be take, to take lightly. I mentioned that I thought Wake Forest, you know, has been a solid defensive team. So I decided to go on a little little Torvik and shout out Bart. And I just pulled all the games from January 31st through today because you know I, I wanted to, to capture this little rough patch of them going three and three, because I think that's been where a lot of the consternation has been. So I wanted to capture that. So since the day that they played Pitt and lost 72-77, Wake Forest has the 30th ranked rated defense in the country by efficiency, uh, 97.2 for Mr. Torvik. The, the big, big old issue here is they have, they have, they bring two really big issues and they, they're kind of stemming from each other. 91st offense. That's not where people expect Wake Forest to be this year. I mean, I mean I, it gets back to the shooting stats. Like they have not shot well lately on the road, kind of at home, at home against NC State a little bit too. But they, you know, on the road, they have just not shot well. And that's been a majority of their games in this, in this stretch. Well, let's say, what is it? One game, two games. Yeah, we've been half and half. And you haven't shot well in the road games. Now you come back and come back. To, to your home base do you shoot well I, I i think so but they're not shooting well and they're also not getting getting free throws you know they are they have been one of the best teams in terms of shooting free throws and also drawing fouls in general their free throw rate and they're only so i limited to only two i limited to q1 q2 games because I didn't, at this point you should be playing q1 to q2 games like at least two of them over a month there are 140 teams in this query and Wake Forest is 129th in free throw rate. That that kind of tells you like what is is happening right here is they're not having quality possessions in terms of, I think sometimes they're having quality possessions in terms of like getting open shots. I thought that was really the case with Duke. I thought that was the case against against Pitt for the first half or so. But then that second half against Pitt and that second half against Duke and, and I, th- I thought they played well in the second half against Duke. They just kind of beat some metrics there but uva pit and unc like they just 
weren't getting to the line. They weren't getting any penetration at the rim. Their shots were just at times just kind of thrown up. It was just kind of crappy offensive possessions, and they are not getting to the line and not, not they didn't they're not doing a good job of getting people's bigs in foul trouble. That's been a, a massive thing for them. I think that's going to be a key for them this game is you know not only keeping Afton Reed out of foul trouble, but making sure that they can get to the line. That's that's an important part of this Wake Forest offense, and they haven't been doing that during the stretch. Pitt in their own right, I mean, it's been good. There's no there's no real way to like spin like, oh my god, Pitt's been bad. There, there's some stuff that they don't, don't do well. So when I look at the Pittsburgh Panthers, they have been a pretty solid offense. Just when you feature, I just want to look at conference play stuff just because I think pre-conference play things can get really wonky. Since conference play has happened, 60th ranked offense in the in the country for Torvik, they are 40th in uh, turnovers on offense, so they don't really turn it over. They don't really force a ton of turnovers. They're still 211th in that, and I think that's something you, that's an area you can definitely take advantage of at home, where you've been obviously a lot better. You had 15 turnovers in that game against against Pitt. You know, I part of me wishes I had the turnover numbers right uh, from that game right in front of me. I should have. But I would wager, and I, I would wager Wake Forest had about seven of those in the, in the second half. It was about even, it was about even, but I remember offensive rebounds were also a miserable part of that one. But I think you can keep it, if you can keep it 12, 13 turnovers, you still feel a bit better there. It's not really a team that, you know, draws a ton of fouls. They're 270th in the country. You don't really draw fouls. They foul fine amount, 124th in the country. That's, I mean, again, I, I think that's been part of Wake Forest's entire offense. Like you got to, that's got to be a strength on strength here. I think you've got to, if Pittsburgh is going to be willing to foul and you're not going to foul a ton on them, like you've got to take advantage, you got to take advantage of those and get to the charity stripe. The interesting thing about them is that I, they've been a lot better against defending the three. And I think people give them credit for, I think as the whole, on the whole season, they have been pretty good, but in conference play, they're 186. So about middle of the pack or so. That's about as, about as average as you could possibly get. And I don't think you need to go there and jack up 43s, but I mean, it, it very much seems like they're getting, they're giving up open shots. The big thing for you in this game, I, I mean, on, at least on defense, and I'll go defense first before going to offense. It's Blake Henson. I mean, you've got to, you got to, got to contain him. I understand the consternation about the guards, and you know, you let two. I think what what happened to Wake Forest in that game against Pitt was they did a very, very, very good job on Blake Henson in that first half. Cam Hildreth did a phenomenal job, and I, I do want to talk about Cam and that whole situation before. I flipped the football. I thought Cam did a very, very good job with him on in the first half. And then in the second half, I I I don't know what kind of went on. I don't know if they changed the ball screen defense and didn't let everyone know. But there are just a there was a few times where, you know, 
you have you have Boopy like switching on to Blake Henson, and it's like that's not, and it was it was an immediate and one, and then you'd have just another someone else that's not Cam switch on, and it was just like and that's a three, and then he started getting going, and you're like, shit, like you know Cam's done a pretty good job. The only thing he's really made are a couple of tough shots in the first half. We can't let him get this confidence in getting a couple and ones here. I think if you can do it, if Cam can handle Blake Henson, you're in a you're in a great position. You still have to take care of the guards. And I, mean, I, th- I think that's a, you know, I think Carrington and Lowe and Leggett to an extent are, I think, yeah, I think Leggett had 22 against us, but like yeah, Carrington, Lowe, and Leggett are, are good players. Like they're very, very good players. And I think paying attention to how they actually defend them is going to be in- intriguing. Uh, Jeff Capel today talked about how, you know, he's noticed Wake Forest has changed their ball screen defense um, a lot since, you know, they were doing it early in the season. So Cable knows that there's going to be some changes there. I'm curious to see what that actually looks like. But I think it's still just Blake Henson. Like Blake Henson has gone absolutely mental the last few games. I think you got to, I don't know if it's let someone else beat you, but you've got to, if you can help him, if you can make sure he's not the one beating you, you feel a lot better about your situation. I mean, on offense, I, I, it's it's Efton. Like, obviously, I, I, it's Hunter as well, but it's Efton, man. I thought they did a very, very... One of my favorite things they've done this year was that first half against Pitt was where they played point Efton. Uh, Pitt just didn't really have an answer for, for that at all. It, it was either Reed scoring or Reed passing it and someone else scoring immediately. It point after in that game worked very, very well. And I think I, I'm curious to see if they do start Jeffries in this in this matchup where they try to see if Federico can can work it again. But they play that point after was very, very effective in this game. I think he's gonna I think he's gonna set up set up people for success in this game. And you gotta make shots. I mean, you just gotta, you just gotta make shots. They're, you're not beating this pit team by holding them to 50, 50 points. I don't think this is gonna be a 57 to 54 kind of matchup here. This is going to be in the 70s, 80s, where you're going to have to make some buckets here. And you're going to have to grow up. And I think one of the biggest things is Cam Hildreth, you know, what happened at the end of that game was against UVA was not received well. I'll say that. It was not received well. Uh, Steve Forbes went on Josh Graham's show, talked about it. I personally did not want to ask about it during the ACC teleconference this morning. Uh, I gave my thoughts about it on the board earlier today, but for those who aren't listening, and if you aren't on the boards, to me to digest. Part of my, my reasoning for not asking about it was I didn't want to add fire to like a speculation there because I think there's been a lot of like aggressive, there's been some aggressive, like this dude has embarrassed the program. We can we can calm down. It's okay. It, it, it's okay. He did. He made he made a, made a dumbass mistake. He got hard headed and he got a little selfish and he was like, "I'm going to take." He wanted to win this game and did not end up winning that game. I don't like. I, there's been a lot of like bench cam. Do this. Do this. I if if I had asked Steve Forbes, I kind of knew the answer would be this has been already handled, and. If he gave a short answer about it, I did not want to sit there and be like, oh, I have people be like, oh, well, you know, is Cam going to be here next year? Like, is this going to happen? That's going to happen. If I ask a question and it opens up 
like a Pandora's box of, oh no, what's happening? I don't think I'm doing my job well enough. Could I have asked the question? I think possibly. That's something I always go back and forth with. And I went back and forth about for about a couple minutes by myself. But I, I just thought it was something that wasn't going to get a an answer that would have furthered the story. I thought, you know, there's not a ton of value in that question being asked. And like it's also one of those things of do you expect the head coach to be like, yeah. I just cussed him the hell out in front of the entire team. No, he's already, he's already aired him out publicly. Said what he needed to say publicly. A lot of that stuff's been handled behind, behind the scenes. We'll see what happens tomorrow. I don't expect Cam to not start tomorrow. If he doesn't, I'm sure someone will pick up quick. I'm sure someone like a boot, like boop will pick up a quick foul. Someone will throw a ball out of bounds whatever and you're just gonna then you get cam back in and you move on but I, I i don't expect him to not start i do want to push back so i i that's there was someone that was like his confidence isn't above the i, I don't remember the exact quote but his confidence basically isn't above you know making sure everyone in the program's in line i think that's a very appropriate thing to be like look like you need to make sure everyone's in line you make sure everyone's cool whatever you are in crunch time right now you have Five games left. Excuse me, excuse me. You have six games left to determine your season if you're going to the dance before we get into the whole, you know, ACC tournament scenarios. I, I personally would rather not get to DC and have to fight for your life there. That's just me. But you've got six games to do this, man. This isn't a time to make a point. This is this is not a time to sit here and, and put yourself in disadvantage. And it's not just the whole, you know, you can just put them in two, three minutes later and it's fine. You need a confident Cam Hildreth to win basketball games. That confident Cam Hildreth might not be scoring 15 to 20 points like he was doing before he tore it. Before, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to assume, but I'm pretty sure it's a torn ligament in his wrist. He's, it, that's not what you need to be confident in. And he plays with a bunch of effort, much heart. You need to be you need to have confidence in him so that way he can play smart. Because if he doesn't trust that you trust him, he's going to stay him out there and do these stupid dumbass mistakes that he's going to keep that he keeps doing. Because he keeps being like, I have to prove that I deserve it to be out here. No. You need to take a deep breath. And that's why I think like having the confidence in him from if you're the head coach, if you're the fan, what it, it is what it is. But if you're the head coach, you understand that this dude, when he gets sped up. And Forbes said it on his mouth. When, when Cam Hildreth gets sped up, it's a it's a whole whole ass problem. The thing with Cam is you got if you if you if he knows he trusts you trust him, you know that hey, like not that your spot is guaranteed and your minutes are are going to never go down, but the fact that I trust you to go out there and help us win basketball games, then things start. You know, easing a little better and easing more. We saw it against Syracuse. We saw it against Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech might not be the best team, but they have wins over Duke and UNC. So whatever, man. Syracuse might not be the best team. They have wins over. They have a. They have a. They have a win over a good win over UNC. You know, whatever. When Cam, I think when, when you can see when Cam feels comfortable and and takes a deep breath and goes, okay, I people people trust me. I trust myself cool he plays within himself he decides he's something he's not going to just be the wrecking ball that's 
the freight train that's getting into the lane and absolutely just running into everybody and causing chaos. He's moving the ball around. He's taking smart shots. He's rebounding extremely well. That's what I mean more so of like you can't crush his confidence because if you sit there and crush his confidence, he's going to sit there and shoot the ball 15 times. And then it gets back to the issue that we that I explained the past two, three episodes of, well, if he's not playing well and you got kind of got to bench him and your defense goes away and then Boop isn't playing well, now you're now you're SOL. You're out of a defender. You're out of a point guard. Now you got to play someone you really don't want, don't want to play right now. And it just kind of spirals from there. So that's why you need to make sure this doesn't become a detriment, not only for the rest of your team, but for himself. That's why I, I think the confidence part is important is because, yes, does, does, do there need to be ramifications? Yes. Were the ramifications that, you know, it's not just Forbes, quote unquote, um, I, I spoke my mind. More than likely, yes. But that confidence is going to be important. You are not going to get to the NCAA tournament without a confident Cam Hildreth. That does not mean you need Cam Hildreth taking 12, 15, 16 shots a game. I think the, the sweet spot is around seven to eight. I think that's where it's seven, 78 kind of point blank. Maybe, maybe, you know, confident. They leave you open for three, take the shot. That's a good, it's a good shot. Like, sorry, not sorry. It, it, it's going to be a good shot if, they, if you're WAO. That's where that confidence needs to be of Cam Hildreth. Like, yes, you can instill some punishment, but you got to make sure it look like. Could, can that happen again? No. But we, tr- but we trust you. You're a captain for a reason. We trust you. We need you to act like it. And that's the thing. We need you to act like it. And it's not just not just from a play well standpoint. It's from a mental standpoint. I need you to mentally be, be in there. Because I, it, it very much looks like they have never practiced that without Hunter Salas being the one to take the ball off the court. Because uh, it, it, I, I saw a lot of comments of like, why is Hunter trailing, whatever. I would be willing to bet a lot of money that they have not practiced that with, with they've not practiced that with Hunter Salas being the one inbounding the ball. And if you've seen the seen the play, and we put it on the board, if you put it with the play, they ran it at Pitt actually, and Hunter got the easiest dunk of his life. If you see how Cam hits it, he's just not fast enough, and it's no slouch to Cam. Hunter just has NBA speed. Like Hunter has this legitimate, like that burst from Hunter is insane. Hunter can hit the, can turn the corner and just absolutely go. Cam doesn't. And I think that's where that play really, really broke down. Efton kind of was kind of lagging around because they had just argued what was going to happen. But yeah. Like that, I, I'd be willing to bet Hunter Salas has not run that play inbounding the ball before. So does that excuse everything? No, but. I think you are not going to get to the NCAA tournament without a confident Cam Hildreth. Just kind of is what it is. But now you find yourself against Pitt. And I mean, I don't want to call it a must win. Because I always I always hate those those misnomers. I think the Duke game is I think Duke is an absolute must win. I think that is a you must win that Duke game on Saturday. I think this one's a gotta have. I put the Georgia Tech in that in that category. And I'm gonna I'm gonna put put it on Jordan, uh, put on the Pittsburgh game as well. It's not a must win, but it's a gotta have. You, I think you got I think you gotta have this one, just especially when you look at the ACC basketball standings. It is a very 
very close knit. It's very close knit pack right here. Right now, Wake Forest finds themselves in fifth place, which honestly, you know, fine, whatever. Still six games left. Uh, so they find themselves in, yeah, finds them in sixth place. They are in a, a virtual tie with Pitt and NC State. Um, obviously, they've lost their 0-1 against Pitt and their 1-1 against NC State. The bigger issue right now with them being tied with State is, and it, it might ch- it'll change more than likely, um, since both of them have lost to UNC. I'm pretty sure State has lost to UNC. Um, yeah, both of them have lost to UNC, so essentially they're both the 1-1 there. The next tiebreaker is, okay, what is your record against the second-best team in the in the conference? Uh, NC State hasn't played Duke. I think it's kind of dumb. They only played Duke once, whatever. But yeah, so NC State hasn't played Duke. Wake Forest is 0-1. That's why Wake is behind NC State, just so you know that. But from the essential fourth spot where Pitt, State, and Wake are, down to... <laughs> Down to BC, who is sitting in the 11th spot. It's two games. Two games decide, essentially, if you are in playing on Thursday, to, are you playing on the first day of the ACC tournament? Miami is is a half game out of that as well. Like Miami's the 12th seed, and they're, you know, it's, it's a tie for, well, now it's no longer a tie because BC just won, but BC is at five, five and a half back. Miami is at six. Hell, Notre Dame is at seven and a half. So it's not necessarily a foregone conclusion right now. Like there is, there is not a ton of separation between, you know, teams four through 11 UVA losing. If UNC can, if UNC wins this weekend or this week, then, you know, obviously that makes UVA a little bit closer. And I think that's also why this is kind of big is I don't think UVA is all that, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say all that good because you just lost them. But I do think one Wake Forest would love to see Virginia in the ACC tournament. I think they'd love to see them out of state, Pitt, FSU, Cuse, BT, like all those teams. I think it'd be, I think Cuse and V and UVA are two that Wake's like, yeah, give me them. Like I want them. Like I will, we'll we'll settle this real quick. But the thing with UVA right now is. Not only are they still like fighting for, like they're they're solely in the tournament, getting run out the gym by thirty four ain't ain't good, and they still do get Boston College and Georgia Tech. So they still, I think, have two quote unquote black on wood like wins that they should have. Uh, they get UV, they get UNC and Duke. They get UNC at home on Saturday, and they get Duke on the road on March second. If you're that Pitt State Wake Clemson kind of grouping, you see UVA. You know, you were only two and a half back of UVA before going into the going to your game this week. You know, you, you pick up a win on Tuesday, whether you're Pitt or you're Wake or you're on Wednesday for, for Clemson. All Clemson's three and a half back, but you pick up a win, all of a sudden you gained a you gain a full game on that third on that third seed. You know, they still get Duke. Can you Come on, you you start you start dreaming a little more. Then that's why I think this Tuesday is like a gotta have it because not only are you finding Pitt for that fourth spot, but if UVA trips up again, you know they're not gonna have wins over Duke and over UNC. If they if they trip up again, 
And all of a sudden that tiebreaker becomes real, real, real fun. And so I, that's, I think that opportunity, I think there is a golden opportunity right here on Tuesday for Wake Forest to not only just kind of grow up, but I think that's, that's a big thing for this team is, is they need to, they need to grow up as a team. I, I keep hammering it, but you know, outside of Carr and outside of Cam, a bunch of these guys haven't played crunch minutes for a ACC team. Like Damari has been, but Damari's hurt. I, I asked Steve about it during the teleconference this today, and he essentially said, "Yeah, I mean he's he's getting into better shape, and I think it's a lot better that he's he's able to play a little bit more of the three that allows them to have a little bit more lineup flexibility, but." You know he's he's still not there. Like he, Damari's still hurt, so it's it's hard to sit here and say you know I can get Damari for thirty minutes and feel better about that. But yeah, like Parker obviously is a freshman. He has not played crunch time in, for the for an ACC team down the stretch. Hunter played you know kind of like a defined role at Gonzaga. Like I, I get some back and forth with Hunter, and yeah, he was on the tournament team last year and the year before, and like played probably what sixteen ish minutes last year. Like that's that's a it's a different world being a guy that's playing under twenty minutes and just kind of being out there just be like hey go defend and that's about it going to being like you need to be like the guy I need you to be a dick honestly get the ball moving keep the ball moving completely fine sometimes man I need you to go out there and be like this is going to be my game I'm better than everyone else. Honestly, the only person that, that there's not really been a person that's shut Hunter down besides Hunter this year. Hunter Salas is more talented than just about every team, every person that's tried to guard him this year. And I thought the Duke game was him turning the corner of being like, look, man, like I've now had a couple games in a row where I'm just being just better than people. I'm going to start doing this. And, you know, kind of regressed back a little bit in that game. Like he didn't, he didn't decide that game against UVA. Like he, he, he didn't. Like, I I need we need Hunter to take that next kind of killer instinct step and say, hey, look, I'm going to win this game. We I we are going to move the ball well as a team. That's fine. Give me the ball. We're going to move it around. Find me. I'm going to go score. That's and it feels so crude to say that, but that's I think the next step for Hunter is is he needs to he needs to take the jump there. Afton Reed, you know, same sort of thing. He hasn't really played basketball since he was at LSU. So it's been last year was kind of a waste. And he's got to be more aggressive and be like, look, like I'm I, more aggressive in terms of look, I know I'm better. Make sure I'm better about the fouls, though. I got to got to got to work on that. Boop, boop, same way. He didn't he didn't play last year. He's coming off an injury now working up a, a level like he like he's got to. He's got to grow up. I, mean, I think there's a lot of growing up to do on this team, and they're having to do it right now in the fire of trying to make the NCAA tournament. There are definitely better times to ask someone to grow up. They, yeah, they got to grow up, or you're not going to make a tournament. That's just, it is what it is there. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.
So I'm not going to spend too much time on football for this episode. I want to keep this one under 50 minutes. But spring practice today was announced. It will be starting on March 19th. The spring game will be on April 20th, and Pro Day will be on March 27th. I haven't heard a ton about the offseason workouts because I don't like asking about them because I, I hate, oh my God. There are there are two silly seasons I hate about college football. It, it's preview season where everyone's trying to get the clickbait out and everyone's like, yeah, man, I don't know. I got to fire off this hot take because it's July 15th and I haven't seen a football game in six months. I need something and I hate the whole. Hey, man, these are all the these are all the whispers from from fall from uh, off season workouts. We're not touching a football. You're just sitting here working out 24 hours a day. I always hate it. I I always hate it. I think it's I've been getting some feedback, which I've gotten some feedback just of just how people have like looked, et cetera, et cetera. It's helpful, but I still don't think it's necessarily indicative of this team's gonna gonna win 10 games this year. Never have never thought that. They are very, very happy with how Keegan Trost, their offensive tackle they got from Indiana State. They are thrilled about what they what he's done in the weight room, though. They they are very, very pleased about that. Um, they, they're pleased with what, how the offensive line in general has has worked in the weight room. You get, you get Nick Sharp back, Sharp back. You have Matt Goldman, George Sell, Jalen Collins, obviously. Well, not obviously Jalen Collins. Uh, Devontae Gordon. And you've got some. You've got bodies in there that they feel like they are really, really happy with it. They've helped in their strength numbers. Looked a little more agile than than they're used to. It's a big year for them. I don't think that they end up going out in the portal and getting more offensive line help to the much to the chagrin of some. Mostly because if they were to get offensive, if they were to need offensive line help, it would be at the it it would be at the offensive tackle position and. If you actually looked through the offensive tackles in, um, if you look at the offensive tackles in, in the portal, they weren't good. They, they, they like there was some. There's some, and I, th- and I think Tros will be fine. It's not so much that I think that I'm just like ah, like he's just he's, they're all going to suck. But a lot of the offensive tackles ended up being like you're going to be an offensive guard or a center. I know people were really really high on like. Jacob Rizzi from Harvard. He's going to play center at FSU. I know people were high on Jalen Travis out of Penn, uh, Princeton, excuse me. And I think he's going to be deaf at Iowa State. He's, he's going to be a late enrollee too. Just a lot of a lot of these guys, Luke Newman. I know people were, some people are looking at a tackle. Some, a lot of people are walking with him. Yeah, looking at him at guard. At Michigan State, he's going to be a guard. I'm, pretty, I'm 99% sure about that. Jonathan Mendoza, I think he's going to end up sliding in at guard as well. That's that's been like a lot of what's happened here. Is it's either you got guys that started other places, and they're and they're moving into they're like a, a swing guy. Either they might be your right tackle, or they might be your a guard, or you end up getting a guy that was really buried on the depth chart at somewhere else, and. No, is that the way you want to go at the offensive line? Just saying, hey, you know, you don't have a ton of experience, but you got a nice upside. Not, not my favorite route to go, but to each their own. The quarterback position is going to be Hanker 
or Kern. Jeremy's doing well in the weight room, but I, they are going to prioritize game experience. Last, if you thought last year was scarring for you as a fan, I, I'm scarring for Clawson and, and Warren. I think they're going to, if if Jeremy goes out there and absolutely just lights up spring camp, you know, I think you obviously have to have a conversation. But I think they they would much rather prefer that it be Kern or Hank Bachmeyer that goes out there and gets the job. I don't expect this to be something that's won during spring. I expect this to keep going through the fall. I expect kind of this to kind of be, you know, at worst, what happened with Jamie and Sam in 2019, where that was like a quote unquote quarterback battle. And then after like the first, you know, scrimmage that was like, yeah, it's Jamie. Um, if that that's the at worst, but you know, we haven't seen these guys throw football in practice yet. So what am I told them? I still keep hearing that they are going to get a defensive back help. And I think it's smart. I, I don't have an issue with them getting another DB. Just kind of looking at chart wise. I mean, Capone Blue could either play corner or safety. You lose Slocum after this year. Demarcus Rankin, I mean, he's he was solid death, but I don't know if you'll you trust him to start this year. Deshaun Jones could be working back from an injury. You know, Nick Anderson has been solid, but also a little bit injury prone as well. A couple of young guys in Devon and Rashawn Tong. You know, I, I think both of them have very high ceilings, but do you want to trust the keys, the safety to them, Rashawn? Jacob Cosmosley and Miles Turpin to freshmen? Probably not. And then there's a conglomerate of corners that you're trying to see what's happening here. And I think it might end up being another corner more than a safety. We'll see. I think Capone Blue is really going to determine whether that's, that spot's going to be a corner or safety. Because if Capone can kick out safety, then I think you still need a corner. Because like I said, Demarcus is a little bit deaf. Sean Jones is going to be injured. Samari won't be back until the summer, I believe. Because uh, he tore his ACL basically like right at um he tore his ACL like right at the beginning of like fall camp, I think. Like right before it. And so I think think he's just gonna miss spring practice, but be back for summer and fall. You haven't really got a ton out of Andre Hodge. Antonio Robinson spent all last year hurt. Trayvon West was a freshman and you didn't really know much about him. And then you got Mark Glasker, who I thought played fine in stretches and not fine in other stretches. And three freshmen in Tayshawn Bernie, who's a true slot, Devin Cook and Seven Neely. You know, if Capone Blue can't work, can't not can't work out a corner, but it's just better at safety, then you got to go out and find a corner. And, and if Capone sticks a corner, I can see a lot of value in you going out and getting safety. I think the high school the high schoolers are probably going to chill for a bit. I mean, we've got six commits in the 2025 class. You know, I really, I really like Nick, uh, Nico Maggio and Cole Funderburg. Nico's a little undersized for a defense tackle, but I like just how he plays with his, with his weight. It's going to be a small class. I've said it before. It's going to be a small class. The problem that they've kind of run into right now is not so much from a closing status, but for <laughs> because there's been some guys I think they've really, really loved, uh, like Tyler Williams from Riverview, Florida, Garrett Kemp from Decula, Georgia, you know, Evan Haynes from Roswell. You know, there have been, uh, yeah, those have been probably the big three that I would say that have been very good. 
those guys are starting to pick up offers from like LSU and UGA. That's a, uh, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. You know, don't ever be scared to to compete against people, but you know, when a, when a Georgia offer comes knocking, I, I think the same way for Jadon Alford uh, as well. Yeah. When a, when a Georgia offer comes knocking, it's real hard for for someone to be like, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna mosey around that and go to somewhere else. Like, no, it's Shrub Boulder that also got a UJ offer. Like a lot of their wide receivers, they've been close on, but you're you might be left to lose out to like UGA and Oregon. So, no shame in that. You know, I still think there's some guys in the wide receivers that they're close on. I love, love, love Jordan Houston, six one, one ninety. They sit pretty good there. He's a he's an 88 high three star. There's a guy in Jen and Alfred from Rollsville, North Carolina. You know, same sort of build. Fast. Really like him. He loves Wake. I'm a little bit curious to see what they do at linebacker. Feels like they're only gonna take one. And they've been kind of swinging a little bit at linebacker. You know, there have been some guys that, you know, I think I saw someone end up getting solid offer the other day and I was like okay but they only need really one guy from the from the high school ranks there safety they're only gonna take one more corner one to two depending on how the it shakes out with them needing a needing a transfer guy because you also have to worry about how many years that person has they're only gonna take one more defensive end only one tight end uh, right now I think the leader in the clubhouse for that tight end spot would be Charlie Wingfield from Franklin Lakes, New Jersey, plays basketball, looks decent there. I'm not trying to get him on the phone, but he would be my leader in the clubhouse in terms of who would end up with that spot. One to two more offensive linemen. You just have you have so many young, like young offensive linemen right now. George Stee, Hubert Jongo, Jack Hines, Devin McRae, Clint Richard, Kylan Armstrong, Nick Sharp still has like three years of eligibility left. Darrell Johnson has three years. You've got a lot of youth on that offensive line. I don't think you need to spend. Yeah, I need to spend some, but I don't think you need to spend you know, four spots in this class, especially when you are going to more than likely need to go get a quarterback next year. You're not likely to need a. I would. I wouldn't be mad or surprised if they got a wide receiver this offseason as well. Probably going to need to look at tight end this offseason. You're going to lose both of your tackles after this offseason. <laughs> Tashin Davis and Kendron are going to be gone after the season. Like if you pick up on a put down. You're losing all three defensive tackles. You're going to need spots for the portal in this offseason. So, you know, if this class ends up being 13, maybe 14 people, don't be don't be surprised. They they're losing some some quality pieces that they got back this year, but they're going to lose them just to their eligibility being out. They need some spots for the portal this offseason. Thank you guys for listening to this. Always love doing these. As always, good eeks.